Welcome to Pivot to First. I'm Mike Seidel, and every day as CTO at Pivot CX, I get to work with some of the most brilliant people in the industry with one single goal, turning hiring into a competitive advantage. Today, I'm joined by Kyle Rode, Vice President of Global HR at CPM Companies, co-founder of Disrupt HR, and host of Rebel Human Resources Podcast. I think, Kyle, you and I met about a year ago when you had me on your podcast. Welcome. Thanks, Mike. Really appreciate the opportunity to be here and, and talk to your listeners. So tell us a little bit about your journey. I mean, you've done some really unique things. And, uh, you know, how did you end up starting uh, Disrupt HR? Yeah, well, I, I appreciate the question. I think, you know, um, it's the same question that so many HR professionals say, which is, you know, I fell into human resources and, you know, or HR found me. So I actually started my career uh, in retail, as many of us did working in, you know, grocery stores um, and kept that going after college, went to the University of Iowa and had an opportunity to work for one of the largest retailers um, in the world. And uh, what I quickly found was that I just loved um, everything related to people practices. And, you know, um, I say what, what I always say, it's kind of joking is, you know, you, you start in HR because you like people. And then after you've been in HR long enough, you realize maybe I don't like people as much as I thought I did. <laughs> but all kidding aside, it's just for me, it's the it's the people practices that are really exciting. And one of the biggest impacts uh, that that happens in the world of business, right? Like what is business? What is an organization? It's the people uh, that make it up, right? Um, so to to fast forward a little bit, um, you know, a lot of my journey in HR has been around the realm of innovation. And, you know, what I have seen year over year after being in this, uh, uh, in this field for, you know, almost two decades now, is that it's just ripe for change. And, you know, that, I mean, I'm sure we're going to talk about that a little bit here. But that is really kind of the, uh, the driving force behind everything that I've done, uh, both within my company and outside of my company in my in my personal uh, pursuits. And so uh, Disrupt HR uh, was founded by myself and, and two other uh, local HR practitioners uh, with the intent to disrupt the way that we think about human resources. And it's really an information interchange where we bring uh, people together. It's quick, heavy hitting presentations. And the idea is that we are challenging the world of work and ch really challenging the way that HR thinks about the world of work. You know, we can be so much more than admin or, or quote, back office support, right? There, it's such an important component of the business uh, and any organization. And so that's that's really kind of the driving force and what, what brought me here and prompted me to start a podcast, uh, which has been super cool. And uh, yeah. yeah, Mike, I get to meet cool people like you. <laughs> so, you know, one of the things that disrupt HR, it, I think it's been a real force for good in the industry. You know, as I, I look at, at in my journey in, in the HR tech space, especially um, disrupt HR has consistently been a source of, of people looking to innovate. You know, it's not uncommon for me to run into uh, somebody who's maybe a sales opportunity. And the reason they are is because they're finally looking at how do we change something, which kind of brings me to a question I have for you, because the way you describe your podcast, uh, one of the first, you know, I, I'm not sure which where it is, but one of your uh, one of your intros to your podcast has this question that and I love this one. Do you still manage people with processes from 40 years ago? 
Um, you know, a lot of our audience are CEOs, CFOs um, that that are out there looking at. You know, look, we're ha- the the one thing that's holding our business back is hiring. I, I you know, we've we're, we've got this production facility. We're operating two shifts. We should be operating three. Um, I've got stores that that we have the rights to uh, operate our franchise business in. I can't open stores because I don't have enough people to staff them. Um, you know what is it? Uh, uh, what is it that CEOs need to look at out there? What are, what are the most common out of date practices that you're seeing out there in the wild? Oh wow, that's a that's a great question. Um, you know, the 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 origin of that question, you know, are you still doing processes from 40 years ago? It's really what I would say. It's a cautionary tale of me trying to manage within that infrastructure. And I think I specifically asked that question to uh, one of my C-suite executives at one point, why are we operating like this is 40 years ago? (laughs) Right. Yes. Um, And in that, in that context, the example was an attendance policy that was like, just was not working. And it was, I think the sixth or seventh attendance policy that we tried to roll out and it was, you know, points based or some archaic, you know, attendance system that, um, that just didn't work. And, uh, uh, but I think to, to go back to your, your question on what are some of those out to out of date practices? I think, uh, the first thing that I would, that I would argue is the world is speeding up. Um, you know, and, and that means that the expectations of our employees, our applicants, our candidates, our hiring processes, like everything needs to get faster. And I, I don't think anybody's going to argue with that point. Um, you know, case in point, uh, and we talked about this on our podcast, um, speed wins in recruiting. Every time, right? every time. Absolutely. And so, and and I can't tell you how many times I, I go to market with a, like a job that I think is just absolutely awesome. And, um, and it's like, well, this is going to be easy because this job is super cool. And like, you know, if I were this candidate, you know, in this realm, I would love this job. And then we get like four or five really great candidates and we, we start the process and then it just grinds to a halt because I have a hiring manager that wants to see, well, can we see two more, you know, or, yep. um, or it's like, there's, there's some really slow part of the process where it's like, well, we can't talk for another week. But, you know, if, if you delay it more than a week or two, your competitors are going to hire that person. I mean, a lot of times it's not because of better, you know, um, you know, better job descriptions or, or better employer value propositions. Sometimes I will hire people and I will win the war just because I can hire you. Like I can call you tomorrow. I will have an interview the next day and I, I can get you a job offer. I can get you starting in my door in like five days. Right. And it's like, um, and then by the time inertia, you know, somebody's already started and they're, they're starting to get callbacks for the other people that they interviewed for, or, uh, you know, well, too late. I already started a new job. And, and Kyle, so I would, thinking, I mean, that's, that's a big piece. <laughs> oh yeah. So, so Kyle, one of the things that, that to me, at least with, with what we do gets me so excited is when I get a, a new customer who makes a hire and then they call me two weeks later and go, you know what happened, Mike, I hired this person. And then they started their job two weeks later. They finally got a call from the recruiter from the other guy. <laughs> I love, I love watching people speed up because they they don't think, A, they don't think it's possible and B, when they do speed up, it turns out all these great candidates, the people that they really want to hire, you can actually hire them. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's, that's so true. You know, and I, and I think, you know, in the hiring, we could, we could fill an hour and a half and just talking about hiring practices. 
I think some of the other things are important as well, though. It's the, sure. you know, it's the approach, you know, it's the approach of policies like that are unintentionally um, exclusionary. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's been a lot of a lot of my focus as well as we talk about things like building a culture. You know, what does that mean? Right. Like that, that I would argue is one of the most important things that a C-suite executive can do, build a culture. But the hard part is, OK, how? Right. And so it's things like what are your you know, what are your communication structures? Right. Yeah. Are you using the same style of communication that you've used, you know, 40 years ago, you know, toolbox talks and. Um, you know, and flyers in the break room, like, does anybody actually read those flyers? You know, is anybody actually thumbing through your, your 50 page handbook to understand what your expectations are? And the answer is no, right? Like people want it on demand. They want it on their cell phone. They want to be able to understand what you're saying. They want, um, you know, they want to have a social media presence. They want to be proud of where they work and be able to share that, you know, like there's so many different things that if you can tap into it, um, it, it, it can really help. And then the other thing I would say is like, Look at some of the challenges that we're facing, you know, as a society and how those have trickled into the workplace lately. I mean, things like, you know, social justice, sustainability, you know, some of these topics that they're big, hairy, scary topics for oh, an yeah. employer to take on sometimes. But, well, I were, you know, a year ago when you and I were talking, at the, we, were, we were in the middle of the COVID thing and everybody was just <laughs> terrified, right? What's that? What's COVID? Uh, yeah. <laughs> And then, and now, now here we are, it's like, like we're at the end of this thing and we still have an awful lot of people that really are concerned about different parts of that. And, and, and there's still a lot of employers that don't address it. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you could, we could keep going. I think the answer there though is, is you have to be willing to change and, and you have to be willing to listen and confront some things that maybe you, you didn't understand. Um, you know, a great example, you know, this on the social justice side of things, um, you know, my organization's, you know, manufacturing organization. Sure. Um, and a lot of technical uh, talent um, and in an industry that's not historically very diverse. I mean, we're we operate in the Midwest of the United States, um, you know, and, and the argument has always been, well, you know, we just hire we just hire the best talent. But what we had to do in my organization was question that. You know, mm-hmm. the question is not, um, is there talent? The question is, where are we looking for talent, right? And it's and it's the, how am I eliminating a barrier for people to find me as an, as an employer? And where are we actually casting our net, you know? So are, are we actually trying to diversify our recruiting practices to diversify our hires, right? You know, it's, it's asking that type of question as opposed to saying, well, there's just... You know, this is just the way it is in this industry. You know, it's it's questions like that that really will make a big impact if you if you're intentional and you and you question your preconceived notions. Well, I tell you, divert, diversity is a really interesting topic, but but and we could talk all day about it. But there's one one really important nugget in there, and that's that's really if you're not seeing good diversity in your hiring, you probably aren't hiring the best people. You're probably right. hiring all the people that that. Uh, kind of fit this cookie cutter image and, and you're going to miss an awful lot of great talent. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I mean, there's, you could Google it and find all the research, but you know, there's, you've got the halo effect, you know, you've got some of this implicit bias, you've got the group think that happens when everybody thinks the same way and, and kind of just, you know, uh, interacts the same way. And, you know, there's a lot, it, the, the truth is there's a lot of comfort there. 
Um, and I, I've certainly seen that in the organizations I've worked at where, you know, you're just comfortable around people that are like you. That is the, that's the reality of the human experience. But if you allow that to happen at your organization, what will happen is the organizations that have more diversity, equity, right. and inclusion, they're going to win. They're going to eat your lunch eventually. They're going to figure out something that your customer needs that you can't because they have diversity of thought. And they have also what happens is you see these cultures intentionally build up inclusive structures to allow some of those great ideas to bubble up. So it's not just like, yes, it's the right thing to do. I think everybody would agree, you know, we want to support people and, and, you know, help make this an inclusive society. It's also right. really good for business. Absolutely. Can't agree more. Since we're talking about what's good for business. Um, so you're the CEO. What should you be asking your recruiting team? What should you be asking them about their process and their practices right now? What what are what are those things that they the CEO needs can can ask quickly to go? Hey, we're doing well or we're not doing well. That's a great question. Um, you know, I think those KPIs are really important, um, and you know, KPIs in general are are very important. But a couple of those key ones that I think about in in the realm of human resources um, are sometimes hard to put put your put your finger on but there's a couple of really critical things i think that you need to be asking your hr team number one what is the candidate experience and that's a very open-ended question so if even if you just ask that question you'll learn a lot yeah. <laughs> when you understand uh, either you get a blank stare and they look at you like what does that mean or they tell you well you know um it's okay we have this, you know, our applicant tracking system, you know, requires this. It's a, it takes about 25 minutes to apply, um, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, and I've seen that it like, um, I kid you not. I used to have a, I used to have a, a, a system. Uh, it had all the bells and whistles. I won't name it, but it was one of the big ones. Uh, it was an applicant tracking system. And in order to get an offer letter generated, it had to flow through like seven different layers of approval. And the recruiter literally had to like handhold it through the process and, mm -hmm. and like ping people that didn't like respond right away. So what that ended up doing is like from offer, like I want to offer a, a, a candidate a job to actually getting a candidate an offer letter. It was always like at least a week to a week and a half. Maybe and this was a week. This was a week just spent waiting on somebody to log in and click and approve button. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And so, so we spent oh, more wow. time like chasing down, like, "Hey, did so and so approve it? Did so and so approve it? Is every you know?" Is yeah, yeah. And then inevitably there'd be one person be like, "I didn't talk to this person. Can I talk?" You know, <laughs> it's just like, ugh. Back on another week. <sighs> I mean, yeah, we ended up we ended up doing a kaizen event. We went in and we were like, okay cut out like 75% of these approvers. If this person can't approve this, then why, why are they in the position they're in? <laughs> right? They own the budget. Like, why does anybody else have to approve? And, well, and there's also the part, if this person's too busy to look at it, maybe they shouldn't look at it. <laughs> right. Right. Like, are, and are they really gonna, you know, is, is there going to be incremental value added by <laughs> approval process? Um, but that's, you know, so that's, that's one so question. You, candidate experience. You brought up, you know, candidate experience. So so we bring up one of my favorite cliches in the whole world of recruiting, which is, hey, CEO, you should actually go apply for a job at your own company mm -hmm. and see what it's actually really like. Right. Um, and, and a lot of CEOs never do that. And it's, yeah, it takes 30 minutes, 
you'll learn more about your recruiting by by doing that than you will by asking anybody on the team questions. You might <laughs> well, not like what you see, though. If it takes you thirty minutes, it's too too dang long. <laughs> should Don't take disagree. Five, right. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It really should. I think some of the other, you know, there are some other, you know, quantitative uh, measurements. You know, it's things like uh, time to fill, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, it's, that's pretty simple. Any applicant tracking system should have it um, readily available. Um, candidate quality or quality of hire, I think, is an important metric. And, and the way that I like to think about that is, okay, we can pr- maybe we can fill positions, but can we keep them? Are we keeping the, the ones that we, we fill, right? So what does your new hire turnover rate look like? If something happens in that first 90 days, I consider that a selection error. Something mm-hmm. was missed throughout the, you know, the recruiting process. You know, now stuff happens, but, you know, sure. within those first 90 days, there's typically, there should have been something that you spotted. You know, maybe that person said, well, you know, I like to show up, you know, at least 75% of the time and <laughs> maybe that doesn't work, right? Well, the recruiter should have spotted that and we should have called that out before they actually got fired for attendance, Right. Or maybe somebody said, well, I can only work this hour to this hour. And then the first time they have overtime, they quit. You know, it's it's stuff like that. Like so. So that I think is a really uh, key, uh, key metric. And then finally, I think the other you know, there's some other metrics that you can look at that are just things like, you know, candidate flow. You know, how many applicants are we actually funneling? You know, asking the question, how many candidates does it take to hire that one person? You know, oh wow! So, so this is this is actually really timely. Uh, I just got done looking at the recruiting process at, at a company that has four thousand open jobs. Okay, four thousand open jobs. Guess how many applications they took in the last month? Ooh, how many applications? Yes, I don't know. But this is how many applies they got. Four thousand. Yeah. Ten thousand. So four thousand open job. Four thousand applies. Oh really? Yes. Now, now you're not going to hire everybody that applies. No, but. If, if the logic kind of follows, you should be able to make a dent in those 4,000 open requisitions if you have 4,000 applicants. Right, right. A dent can be made there. Not You don't have 4,000 bad applicants there. There right. are not 4,000 bad ones in there. <laughs> now, maybe, maybe 70% of them are bad, but you still should be able to make a dent in that. It is amazing that uh, to me that a lot of companies don't really metric their um, – the recruitment marketing and look at look, right. look at how many applies did we get? How many of those turned into an interview? You know, how many of them are re- just, just screened out for being uh, totally not qualified versus those that are, are more of a, a decision? Because I think a lot of times what you see is is a small amount are screened out as being just absolutely not hireable and almost everybody else, it's, it's subjective. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, that's a great point. And I think about, listen, CEOs, CMOs, CFOs, like we talk so much about sales and sales funnels and customer funnels. Yes. And what, you know, where is this coming from? Well, that's all recruiting is. It's a funnel. It's an experience. You're just trying to get somebody to make a purchase decision, i.e. work for you. Right. And so the product that you're offering, it's just not, it's just not a tangible product. It's the product is the company, <laughs> right? So it is, sure. it, you use the term recruitment marketing, which I think should be used more that's all it is. This is a marketing effort. And so, you know, it's, it's really the same, it's the same KPIs. It's just, you know, skewed a little bit for HR. And I've always said, you know, there's, there's two ways, there's really two ways to bring in people in, uh, in, in an organization. You've got two ways to think about it. Number one is 
I'm going to go steal them from others, right? So I'm going to go acquire a customer from mm -hmm. another, you know, another employer, right? That's pretty tough. You know, and typically when you're going to do that, you're going to be paying more than what they're making. And obviously we've seen that and I can't remember the exact statistics, but you can assume at least a 10% increase every time somebody jumps jobs. I mean, that's just kind sure. of the market. So um, at least that's what I've seen. But then the other, the other huge funnel of people that I think a lot of times people overlook, it's, I call it, it's market development work. It's who are the people that I am not reaching right now with my recruitment marketing efforts? Like, who am I missing? Like, am I only targeting so-and-so on LinkedIn and I'm missing all these other people because they aren't on LinkedIn? You know, is mm -hmm. there, you know, are there other groups or demographics that I have not actively done outreach oh. to? You know, I, I mean, it's, it's, again, none of this is like, this isn't rocket science. Like, um, it might feel like it right now in this, in this hiring environment. Um, but the truth is you're really just, you're, you're selling a product, which is you. So you got to find out what differentiates you from the market and you've got to figure out what is your value proposition to that, uh, future employee and figure out the funnel. And then once you, once you get there, I mean, if it takes 10,000 people to fill 4,000 jobs and you have 4,000 applicants, you will fail. Go figure out how much you have to spend to get 10,000 in the funnel. No doubt. I, we see a lot of that out there where the budget's inadequate. But one of the things that we, we really, um, it, it just seems to be coming up more and more and more is speed of engagement. How long does it take between when somebody applies and when they actually are having a real conversation with someone? And, and let's talk, go back to your sales analogy. And this is where I think recruiting and sales diverge the most. In the sales world, I think almost everybody who, if I said, if I walked into a room with a thousand sales leaders and asked the question, when should you call a lead? The answer is right now. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> okay. When I ask a room full of 1,000 uh, talent acquisition people, when's the right time to call a candidate? Some of them are going to say right now, but a lot of them are going to say, well, after we run it through the ATS and we've done a skills check and we reviewed their resume and, you know, the hiring manager has been through the stack of resumes and approved that I can reach out to that candidate. Yep, absolutely. And that stuff's got to stop. It's just got to stop because it's, it's blocking so many really transformations in, in different companies out there. Um, it, so many times you see a recruiting process where, the, the blocker is actually uh, the company's own recruiters slowing down the time it takes to get to that right. initial human human to human contact. Nobody ever took a job without talking to the employer. Right. It's so true. I've got I've got a story there. So um, so one, one of my previous employers, um, uh, high volume manufacturing. Um, we're not talking like not high wage manufacturing, um, you know, assembly line. Uh, production work, you know, not the most glamorous work uh, in the world. Uh, and I, th I think at the at the time we had something like 90 open positions or something like that in a facility of around a thousand, you know, employees. So pretty, you know, I was feeling a little pressure to get some of these positions filled. <laughs> and, sure, sure. And so, you know, our approach was, well, okay, we need to do a hiring blitz. That's what we called it. And so, you know, we said, okay, we're going to, we are going to take every single person with any HR aptitude and we are gonna we are gonna f use up every single um, application that we have. We're gonna contact every single one today, 
right? And, uh, you know, a couple couple hundred applications worth. It took some time, but, you know, a couple of them, a couple of those candidates that I called uh, were, were really recent um, applicants, you know, in like, like that day, like they came in right, that day right. and I called them, you know. So like, they still remembered they applied, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> that, was, that mattered. And so what was so funny is, uh, I think almost every single one of them that had applied that day made some comment like, wow, that was fast, you know, and it was like, and I'm like, yeah, you know, and I wanted to say, well, this is always how fast it is here. But the truth is we would, it's because we were like panicking and we just needed to fill position. But, but it was so, that was so powerful for me to go through that experience and, and, and kind of reflect on those, those candidates uh, reactions, because, because what it told me is like, this is a competitive edge. If I can figure out how to do this on a regular basis, I am going to win the war for talent here, right? Um, and and turns out, you know, we we were able to with with that and a couple uh, different approaches, uh, we were able to fill those positions pretty quickly, uh, just because we threw a lot of time and energy at it, and we we responded really quickly. And it's funny because if you think about it from a candidate's experience, and I've had this conversation with with recent hires. With my current job, um, some of the feedback that you get by doing that is, you, you know, um, I didn't really know anything about your company, and I wasn't really sure if I wanted to work there. I saw there was an open position, but the fact that you moved so quickly made me excited to work there because that made that helped me understand, hey, things move quickly there. I can get something done. I can make an impact. You know, it, like you actually capture a little bit of energy and excitement so that when they come into their first day in the workplace. They're excited to be there. <laughs> like, isn't that what we all want? And, and uh, you know, I, so I think there's a lot of power in in structuring your process and challenging your your talent teams to structure that process to be to be quick and and not not so quick that you lose your objectivity, but you need to be nimble. Right. You, and you need to be able to make quick decisions. Um, you still need to have structures in place to make good decisions on hiring. You can't just hire every applicant you get um, <laughs> unless you're absolutely desperate, which is kind of where some employers are probably at listening to this. But but well, there's a there's a really bad uh, there's a really bad outcome to that. That's mm -hmm. you, you have to remain have some level of selectivity in who you're yeah. hiring or you're going to have problems. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And that goes back to that quality of hire. Right. So it's. Yeah. Um, you know, so you really, yeah. you, you just can't cheat. Right. Right. You have to do it right. You have to invest time in it and you can't, you know, the other thing I would say, and, um, this might frustrate some listeners who are on, you know, they have smaller staffs, but if you think that your HR team can handle a heavy recruiting volume and be a successful HR professional and all the other aspects of HR, you're probably wrong. Um, you know, I, I think recruiting is a special skill not every HR person's a great recruiter. They're just not. Some no. HR people should be administrators and have the diligence to be wonderful structural administrators with things like payroll and compensation and, and compliance. And then you've got HR people who are your recruiters. And those, a lot of times, those are competing skill sets that you really need to take a hard look at. Your best recruiter might be your marketing professional, yeah. not the person processing your payroll. I mean, that you, you need know, to ask you know, those questions. It, it's no different in sales. 
you know, if you go back to that, the person that's a very good sales rep might not be the right person to write quotes and proposals. They just might not have the mind <laughs> for the detail. Believe me, believe me. I, I, I mean, I used to have to write schedules for part-time employees and like manage the schedule and make sure we were like loaded up on schedule. Every single week when I had to write schedules, I wanted to jump out the window. I mean, I hated every minute of it. But if you put me in front of a candidate and you said, hey, you're interviewing people all day long, I'm like, yeah, bring it on, right? So like great example, like, you know, I'll call myself out there. Like I'm not the quote guy. I'm not the, <laughs> I'll stay in sales. <laughs> so so the moral of the story is we we, we want to talk to you if we want a job, but, but we don't want you managing the schedule. <laughs> no, please. No, no. I have yeah. wonderful wonderful helpers that, 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 uh, shore up that opportunity. <laughs> yeah, a absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. This br brings me to kind of last, last thing. And, and this kind of brings together that whole HR, the whole thing you said about, you know, HR people not necessarily being the best for recruiting. Um, we've, this has come up three times in the last week for us, and I'm sure you run into this day to day in, in your, in your journey. Um, I'm not allowed to talk to candidates unless they've completed our application. And by the way, that application, by the way, that application has 42 questions on it. And if you don't fill it out, you don't get a chance at the job. Um, we see that a lot. We see a lot, especially where we have HR folks serving as recruiters and they've kind of put process above um, recruiting success. Maybe um, the application will have an overall maybe five or six percent completion rate. And you've kind of biased your whole selection process towards hiring people that are OK with filling in 42 question forms. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You, you know, um, you know what you will hire with that strategy? You will hire people who are so desperate that they'll fill out 42 questions on an application. <laughs> I mean, okay. So, um, first of all, uh, the very first decision point that I have when I chose my applicant tracking system was do they have one click apply? That's it. Yeah. Right. Like, I just need one, like, all I need is a name and a resume. That's really all I need. All the rest and when of you, that. When you're saying one click apply, you're talking about like Indeed apply or just apply on the job I'm board. I'm talking don't, like. Don't, no like, friction. Yes, exactly. And, I, and that's the right term. It's that frictionless experience, right? And you think about it like, okay, if I go into Amazon and I want to buy whatever, you know, a sweater for my dog. I type in dog sweater. 16 dog sweaters come up. I force rank by which one's the best dog sweater that fits my price range buy and and then I don't even have to put in my credit card information because Jeff Bezos wants all my credit card details forever so but it's like it's so easy it's like right. stupid easy right that should be what an application is like for your organization and some and you've got and everything I just described there is an aspect of that that experience that you need to be thinking about. What's the rating of my organization? How do they do this? How do they do this without giving me all of their credit card details? Guess what? You can fill out an application after you put your resume into the applicant tracking system. That can be a part of your process, like after the th first phone screen or second, you know, on-site interview or whatever. Like, like, do you really need to know? all the details of the last, you know, like where they live and, and all that kind of stuff. No, you, all you need is a resume period. And that can initiate, that can initiate the discussion. Um, and honestly, you know, you know, just back to Amazon, what you're talking about there. One of the things that happens all the time with Amazon, people have questions about the product they're looking at. They want to get that answered before they're willing to put it in the cart. Right. And right. jobs are no different. People, 
have all kinds of questions about them before they're willing to invest any time at all in applying, um, it's risky to them. Yeah. What, what, just like buying a product is, I mean, it's, it really is. So I, I think a lot of, a lot of recruiters out there that, that, or a lot of HR folks or whoever it is that's saying, Hey, I'm not allowed to talk to a candidate until I have a, a job application are really shooting themselves not in the foot. They're shooting themselves in the head because <laughs> the best candidates are going to have a question before they're going to talk to you. Yeah. You know, and I, I think it's, it's, that's a great call out. I, I think the other thing that I would say is, especially, you know, since, since your audience is full of, you know, executives and maybe not HR professionals, if you hear a comment like that, like, Hey, we have to do this because of a law or because of compliance or blah, blah, blah. Listen, as an HR guy, you should challenge that, right? Like I, and I don't necessarily like it when people challenge the whole compliance thing, but a lot of times we have these preconceived notions or it's been beaten to our head that an application is a best process, a best practice, right? We're going right back to what I talked about earlier, 40 year old practices. 40 year, 40 year, 40 year old practices. Yeah. I'm not aware yeah. of any law that requires an application, right? If anything, there have been laws come that have come out lately. And we talk about something like ban the box where it shows requiring an application up front can actually be a discriminatory act and cause an adverse impact to a, to a select group of people. So, you know, like, I don't know where that argument, you know, comes from it. You, you'll hear the same thing about, um, you know, family medical leave and, and illnesses and things like, like, okay, these things are complicated. You need to make sure that you're following the law and that you're compliant. But if you think about the human experience and you and you just do the right thing in general, you're going to be compliant with the law right now. There's hey, an asterisk what there. If, Certain industries Kyle, are different, but <laughs> what if Amazon made you put your credit card in before you could browse products? Nope. Not doing it. Right. Why would I, well, why would I give you my information before I buy something? Right. What's the difference? Exactly. Yeah. That's a great corollary. That's so why I like you, Mike, just cut right <laughs> to the point. I, I, I use like 27 words. You use like three. That was good. <laughs> so just kind of wrap things up um kyle I, I really enjoyed the conversation today i think i think we we covered a lot of really really interesting topics and I, I think a lot of a lot of our audience will really really be uh excited about hearing hearing some of the things you had to share uh, and i think an awful lot of companies out there they'll never want to admit it publicly but i think a lot of them are really in that 40 year old process bucket um they, they secretly are. I think sometimes when I look at my company and our own processes internally, we're, we're, we might be in the 40% but or that 40 year old bucket and, and need to get out of it. Um, but I do have a couple little final questions for you. Sure. Um, these are really, really easy. Um, uh, so, uh, what, what book has really been transformational for you can be, can be about business, can be about anything, but what book was really, uh, almost life-changing if not life-changing. Oh, wow. That's a great question. Um, so I've been reading a lot of, of, of books lately. I've kind of rediscovered um, the joy of reading. If I think about it in a professional context, I'm going to go back to, um, you know, one of the one of the books that I read early in my career, and it's really been formative. And that was uh, that was good to great. Mm -hmm. and, but specifically, the content talking about level five leadership. And, and, and that's been something that as I've, that's been something I've carried with me throughout my entire career is that kind of that aspiration of being that level five leader, um, which does challenge some of the conventional norms about what good leadership looks like. And, um, yeah, so I, I think that's, that's gotta be the one that's been 
kind of that true north, um, you know, ever since, you know, really college. Okay. So favorite movie, uh, favorite movie. That's tough. Um, well, I have three kids, 10 and under. So right now it's a lot of like Pixar and stuff, but I'm going to go back, you know, I'm going to go way back and I'm going to say, um, uh, ever since uh, I was a kid, um, you know, Shawshank Redemption is probably my, probably my number one. I could watch if, if that's on, I'll just stop and watch it every time. I don't care. You know, I, uh, yeah, it, great actors and, and, you know, great story of triumph. Absolutely. And then finally, uh, you know, tell, tell our audience just a little bit about your podcast and, and where to go if they want to subscribe. Yeah, thanks for that. I appreciate it. Um, so, so my podcast—it's—it's it's a lot of the content we've talked about here. It's—it's it's just everything innovation in the people space, um, and it's—and I get to talk to all sorts of awesome uh, people who are really doing some some world changing work uh, in the HR space. And so, um, you know, if there's if there's a topic that that might interest you, we've done about a hundred episodes, so there's probably something that would interest you. You can go to www.rebelhumanresources.com. Uh, all the episodes are listed there. You can check them out. Um, and then if you want to connect with me, I'm on LinkedIn. It's Kyle Road, R O E D like Rowed. Um, there's a Chris Farley black sheep joke in there somewhere, but, um, yeah, I'm in LinkedIn. That's probably the best way to, to connect with me. And, you know, I'm, I'm an HR guy, so I'm on LinkedIn like, like every five minutes. So if so, and if somebody's looking, you know, wants to connect, I'm, I'd love to connect. Well, Kyle, thanks so much for being with us. Really enjoyed the time with you today. Have a great weekend. Thanks, Mike. You too.